Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst from Strata Central. Happy New Year, Rena Van Alst. Happy New Year to you too, Amanda. This is our first chat of 2023. It's great to be here with you. Have you got any resolutions for 2023? Do you have a word for the year that you're focused on? How do you kick off your new year? Well, my focus this year, Amanda, is to do less work. So do less work. Mm, in Strata, I'm not sure if that's tautology, but anyway, we'll see how we go. <laughs> I think that's a very good aim. Do less, make more is what some entrepreneurs say. Apparently it's possible. I don't know. <laughs> we'll watch and we'll see how you go. Exactly. Let's kick off 2023 with our wins and our challenges. We'll start with your challenge for this week. Well, this week my challenge, Amanda, arises from a Strata scheme that we manage where the owners corporation had to do some work in an apartment. What had happened was that there was a open rooftop area where the waterproofing had failed and the owners corporation was trying to get quotes and with the Design Practitioners Act adding further complexity to getting quotes from people that had their accreditation. This particular gentleman was found by one of the community members um, online. He's a builder. He said that he could do the work in between two jobs that he had and he was going to actually do like a temporary roof structure that the Strata Committee thought might be a good idea in the meantime until we could get some um, quotes for the waterproofing and raise funds as well. And furthermore, there was a leak into the apartment below that wasn't able to be tenanted for like over six months. So there was two sort of main considerations. One was obviously stopping the water leaking and two was ensuring that the apartment could then become habitable so the owner was losing rent, which is a loss of rent claim has, has been approved by the Owners Corporation separate to this. Anyway, so as a result, this gentleman said, oh, you know, I need, he wouldn't send the proper contract. I said I need a contract. It wasn't over 20000 so I didn't need home building compensation fund insurance. Anyway, back and forth, back and forth, and he said he wanted 50% deposit. Now, I said to the committee, that's not legal. The Act says 10%, even the contract that we, that we signed said 10%. But they said, oh, no, Rena, he's in between jobs and you know how hard it is to get tradespeople. We can't get anyone to even give quotes and he's available. So I, I reluctantly agreed. Obviously, I was instructed to do it. And, um, of course, then what happened was he got sick and then he didn't start and then this and that and kept on following him up. And finally he started to do some work and... Um, and next minute wouldn't come back. He wouldn't turn up when he said he was going to turn up. And then he wanted more money for another part of the job because obviously he wanted him to repair the unit below. So and there was flooring issues there. So we, he, we said, can you give a quote? He said, I need more money. I said, no, but you're already being paid for the job that you haven't even started. And he was hit on ringing me at night and, you know, I said, here's remittance advice. You can start. Oh, no, no, you know, he's been burnt by Strata before. I said, you've got a remittance advice. It's confirming the money's left the account. Anyway, we found out later on that he was in liquidation. We did a search on the company just by chance to see where what was happening and then we he didn't even tell us. We, we found out. We found out who the liquidator was. We got in touch with them. We have to sort of put this proof of debt thing, which like, I mean, obviously we're not going to get the money back. But um, So he had entered liquidation at some point between signing the contract and then trying to get the work done. Yeah, but three weeks after. 
Um, he went into liquidation after he paid the deposit, even though we were still asking for the work to be done way after that. He still hadn't started. Because also it was raining, you see, and that's the other thing that's causing delays. There was rain, so he couldn't start. So there's so many different factors, Amanda. Anyway, so I went on the Fair Trading website after I found out he was actually in liquidation. And, um, of course, his licence is still valid. So I put a home building complaint in. And they said, well, all they told me to do was go to the liquidator and put a proof of debt. That's all they told me to do. They, just, they didn't remove his license or anything. Mm. So I don't know how fair trading licensing works in relation to someone's solvency, but it seems like they're, they're not related. So are you saying the company is still the license holder or him individually as the person? The company is. Right. Okay. The company always was a license holder. Yeah. Mm. And all fair trading told me to do a matter after I lodged my all the documentation, the paperwork was just to lodge a proof of debt. And just obviously the details were on the form that we downloaded from ASIC. And so that they even said they referred to him by name. It's like I don't really need them to tell me that. I gave them that information. So fair trading does not automatically or immediately revoke or suspend a home building license where the builder building company has entered liquidation. Interesting. Mm, that's what I thought. So I thought that this may be some other listeners or strata managers out there might have had some similar experiences. I don't know if it's quite common or uncommon or but um, I think it's something people should be aware of perhaps for a company now, apart from doing your normal checks of whether they're, you know, licensed and they have the correct insurances, etc. you have to now do a company search of any company. Now, the amount we've lost, I think, is about $15,000, which for a small scheme is significant. But, you know, even if the deposit was the correct amount of 10%, I mean, some deposits are like, depending on how big the job is, it could be much higher than that. Yeah. So you're saying your process as a strata manager is to do a license check to make sure these people are licensed. You make sure that there's insurance if there needs to be, didn't have to be in this case, but you don't take that step of going to the ASIC register as a rule and checking that the corporation is actually operating, registered and so on. So that is what you will be doing from now on. Is that right? And then what you suggest that other strata managers do? Yeah, I think so, Amanda. Well, I mean, I never, ever take any pressure from, from your clients to pay 50% deposit. Like, I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, it was their decision. And in the same building, then I, again, I was asked, the flooring had to be done in that apartment and the property manager got a quote for the flooring. And again, the guy wanted 50% because he wanted the materials to be paid. And I just said, no, I'm not doing it. I said, you pay for it and you'll be reimbursed when the work is done. And that's what we did. We paid the owner. He said he'll pay it. And I said, that's fine. I said, you can do whatever you want. Once the work is completed and, and everyone's happy, then we'll reimburse you, which we did. This is interesting. I wonder if this is something that's becoming more common now as contractors are more in demand. There's less of them qualified to do work. And I always use the example of waterproofing work. That seems to be the one where we're finding it hard to get qualified contractors. I wonder if it's just becoming a normal course of business for contractors to ask for significant deposits to secure the job. Well, I think in this case, Amanda, because it was flooring, and I know there is obviously the material cost, which probably, you know, is significant, but the issue is the Act still says you can't do it. So this apartment, we're losing $900 a week in rent. So every week that it's not being rented out, it's costing the Owls Corporation money, which is part of the reason that they had agreed to the 50% deposit because they said, well, we're losing all this money. The owner's losing money. The Owls Corporation has to reimburse that owner. So if this gentleman can do the work in between jobs, and, we, and again, I think you found him on 
air task or something like that. But I mean, again, but all the checks and balances came through, you know, license was valid, the all his public liability was valid, all the other insurances that were required were um, were valid. Just to fill in any listeners who may not be familiar with the legislation that Rena's talking about, the requirement for a maximum 10% deposit is in the Home Building Act in New South Wales. Section 8 says that the maximum amount for a deposit for residential building work is 10% of the contract price. That is for work, I think, let me just check, but I think that's for work where the contract is up to $20,000. Higher than that, more than $20,000, the maximum deposit is 5%. So important to be aware of that and that's a good section that you can be quoting to your committees when they want to pay more of a deposit and perhaps you can go back to the contractor and say, sorry, against the law. Yeah, well, I did say that but they didn't want, you know, like because and the reason we paid 15 was he had, we were doing the ceiling was one job and the roof structure was another job. So they were two separate jobs. And again, I think many managers might find that some contractors try and split the jobs so that the amounts come in under, under 20000 to avoid the home building compensation fund insurance. But because mm. these works were quite different, one was for a structure and one was for a ceiling that was the damaged ceiling in the unit below that was suffering the water penetration. In that case, I suppose, you know, you could say that they're two separate types of work. They're not sort of related. They're not trying to split the same job into three sections, which... I think lawyers used to do that too when it came to getting the cost agreements approved. The general meetings had split them up just below the threshold. Oh, yeah. When we had that new legislation come in where legal costs above a certain amount have to be approved by general meeting, we definitely saw those staged cost agreements, sometimes artificially staged cost agreements to keep them under that threshold. Well, thank you for sharing that, Rena. As a community service announcement, I think, to put our managers, our committees on notice that this is something to be alert to, that practice of fair trading, not necessarily giving any notice on the register if a company is in liquidation, not revoking their license, at least not straight away. And I too would encourage managers, committees to be checking the asset registers when you're about to engage certainly a a corporate contractor. My challenge for this week, perhaps a little lighter, I hope, I have heard a story, let's say, a story from a colleague of mine that relates to the hanging of artwork in a common property hallway. Reasonably large building, many lots, residents who want to make their home as welcoming, as modern, as stylish as possible, have got together and purchased some artwork and they have hung that artwork on the wall of the common property corridor leading to their apartments, only to find out a couple of days later that someone from the committee has come along and removed that artwork because the residents didn't have approval to hang that artwork on the wall. And I don't know all the details of what happened from there, a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of politicking, I think. I don't think the artwork is there now. But it got me thinking, Rena, about cosmetic work, and I spoke about this on the podcast only last week, the meaning of cosmetic work in our New South Wales legislation and whether indeed it might cover this kind of situation. I'm talking about Section 109 
in our Strata Schemes Management Act, which says that an owner of a lot may carry out cosmetic work to the common property in connection with the owner's lot without the approval of the owner's corporation. And Section 109 tells us that cosmetic work includes installing hooks, nails, screws for the purpose of hanging paintings or other things on walls. Now, look, a fairly objective reading of that section would tell us that if the owner can say, well, I'm hanging this artwork on the common property wall of the corridor leading to my lot, that is cosmetic work in connection with my lot. We can debate this. Rena just gave me eyebrows, raised eyebrows. (laughs) We can debate this. Do you think this is work that owners can do without approval from the owners' corporation? Well, my experience, Amanda, has been in most buildings that normally the owner will ask the committee, you know, like I'd like to beautify my corridor, I have a painting or whatever, or sometimes people put like a vase with a, you know, like a stand or um, a picture end, a vase and a stand or a little nice sort of chair type thing where people can sit while they're waiting for the lifts. So I think my sort of take on this and perhaps my view is that really, I mean, you don't own the common property hallway and therefore if everyone decided to sort of put things there, then I suppose it would become a bit unwieldy in terms of managing, you know, different tastes, different expectations. People then could put things, you're talking about painting, but it could be anything. People could put chairs, they could put anything there. I mean, once you start, I think, allowing people without consent to do something like that, then I think it does open a bit of a Pandora's box. So my view is that I have no issue with it as long as, you know, the person asks the committee usually say yes. I've never had the committee ever say no, hmm. to be honest, in these circumstances. But then again, there's always the first time for everything. So. Yes. I think if you read further through Section 109, it does say that work that changes the external appearance of the lot is work that will not be considered cosmetic work and it does push it to a higher threshold of approval. And if you haven't caught last week's episode, episode number 344, then check that out because I discussed that in a little bit more detail there. That might be the way that a committee can say, look, sorry, at first glance, this may be cosmetic work, but because it changes the external appearance of the lot, and I can see from your examples, Rena, if you're putting a, a chair and table out there, a bunch of flowers, some furniture out in the corridor at the front door, then yes, that would be the case. The paintings is an interesting one because the question is whether it changes the external appearance of the lot in particular, and it may well be on a wall that's not <laughs> anywhere near the lot or otherwise connected to the lot, but then I suppose you might not have that nexus, I guess, of work that is done in connection with the lot at all. So it falls outside of section 109. Anyway, look, a fun one that I was contemplating earlier this week when that scenario was drawn to my attention, it probably is a situation where it is better to ask for permission rather than forgiveness, especially if you're going to be investing some money in Artwork, And I think that's where the owners, the residents who came a cropper with their committee about this were a bit surprised. They had actually paid for this artwork. They felt like they were doing a good thing for the community and they felt that it was a bit of a slap in the face from the committee to just remove their artwork. Such is the nature of community living, hey? Yeah, I mean, like I said, on the face of it, it's a good idea. Beautification improves the value, I think, for everyone, the amenity, you know, improving where you live. But 
I suppose sometimes it's more about how people do things that affects the reaction they receive as opposed to what they're doing. Yep. I think you're right about that. Your win for this week, Rena. Yeah, this is another interesting one, Amanda, which I've never really, again, I mean, in Strata, sometimes you think you've really come across everything, but, but I haven't come across this one where someone had bought a, an apartment in 2012 in, in a large scheme and these apartments come with a car space, but also some apartments come with a storage cage. And apparently the storage cage was mislabeled. I don't know by whom, at what time it's occurred, but then for some reason, I don't know what happened. And then William Major writes to me and says, where's the storage cage for this particular apartment? I said, well, here's a strata plan. It should be here. And then we realised that apparently someone else has been using it for all these years, over 10 years, and I think she's not been using one or I don't know exactly the circumstances because the apartment had been rented, so I'm not sure if she's moving back in. You know, and then she's asked me to try and help her remove the items from the storage cage, which is really not an issue that we can get involved in as such because it's obviously, you know, within the lot and it's like me coming to someone's apartment and saying, get your stuff out of here, you're in the wrong apartment. But anyway, so we did the ads with the other resident and um, we were able to successfully arrange for an exchange of goods between the two storage cages and, um, yeah, but having something mislabeled, it's just really strange. I mean, I don't know how that happens, to be honest, maybe at the time a developer did it or, but apparently it's, I mean, the, the development's more than 10 years old. So I don't know if it was something that had been done from the beginning or there was ever some work done or someone's just done it maliciously. It's really hard to know sometimes how these things happen, but yeah, it's just interesting. So it's good to help someone. <laughs> Yeah, good on you for sorting that one out. This is not the first time that I have heard of this happening, interestingly. I was given the outline of a very similar situation. Ultimately, I wasn't briefed in the case. I think perhaps my fees were a bit much for the owner to contemplate. But a newer building where I believe storage spaces had been swapped, there was some kind of agreement between the original owner and the neighbor. But in that case, there was a difference in the sizes of the spaces and someone had a more valuable space. There was no bylaw. There was no change to the strata plan. This was all a bit of a handshake deal. And the new purchaser who'd come in and realized, hey, they've got my big storage space that I thought I was paying for and that my conveyancer told me, this is yours. This is on the plan. This is attached to your lot. I get there, someone else's stuff is in there and I get told there's this deal where I was never able to access it anyway. I'm not sure how that situation rolled out. Sounds a little bit different to yours. Were the storage spaces in your situation identical? Yeah, I think they were the same. Yeah, I don't think it was a developer thing. It was, a big, it was one of those big developers, like not then least, but one of those um, big developers. So it wasn't sort of the a sweetheart deal type of arrangement. Yeah. And so I suppose it was easy to say, look, it's like for like, just get your stuff out, let's swap. I'm really supposed to have that one, not this one. Whereas in the case I'm talking about, someone actually stood to lose what they felt was value that yes. they had received or they were getting and they were going to get a, a smaller space. So then it can get really sticky. Yeah. Well, that's never heard that one, Amanda. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <Sort of> something. <laughs> Yes. Well, there may be others listening, managers, committee members who have had this experience before or may be familiar with what Rena and I are talking about. We'd love to hear from you. I'll just pop a comment under this episode if you've got a similar experience to share. I think that it just goes to show how important it is when purchasers are buying 
these properties to A, get good advice from their conveyancer or their strata lawyer who is used to advising on the purchase of strata properties, get good advice about what they own on the strata plan, but then also be going to the property with that plan in hand, with that advice in hand and be pointing out, this is what I believe is mine and does that match the plan and what I've been told. And if you're not sure to be getting guidance from someone who is able to read a strata plan, it seems like a lot of effort. It seems like a bit of extra money that you might have to pay to get that additional advice, but absolutely worth it if down the track you find out that you don't actually own what you paid for. Yeah, and I think in this case the manager, I think the wedding manager told me that the owner was shown that incorrect space by the sales agent. Sometimes the sales agents don't even have a clue or the property managers, they'll say, oh, where's the storage cage for this apartment? It's like, well, why don't you know? Like you're acting for the owner, you should know where their storage mm. space is. But anyway. Yes, uh, an obligation then for vendors, for those who are selling, to make sure that they're properly briefing their agents. My win for this week comes from a small building, only about six lots, I believe it was. I was working with one of the owners towards the end of last year. The building had saved up for some significant remedial work that needed to be done to balconies. And throughout the course of the year, it was agreed at a general meeting that all balconies in the building would be remediated. That means removing the tiles, new waterproofing, new balcony tiles, older style building hadn't ever been done before. And everybody was looking forward to having new tiles that would prevent water from affecting others in the building and affecting the basement car parking, which is what had been happening. My client came to me because she discovered that when the contracts for the work were ultimately signed towards the end of last year, her unit was excluded from the project, the only unit to be excluded. And she came across a set of committee meeting minutes where the committee had decided that her unit would not be included in the project because her balcony tiles weren't that bad. They were not in the poor condition that others were in, notwithstanding there was some evidence of water penetration. And it was too expensive to include her unit for various reasons, its location, its size, and the cost of the project had blown out. It had been more than the owner's corporation had expected. And so they just decided, well, if we take this unit off the project, we're going to be saving some money and hers can be done down the track. And a key aspect of this fact scenario, it's important I say, is that my client is an elderly woman. She's actually in her 90s. And she and her family were quite concerned that the committee had taken this position because they thought my client wouldn't do anything about it, or perhaps my client wouldn't be in the building for much longer. And therefore, there was no point doing her unit at this point in time. Yes, I got eyebrows from Rena there again. <laughs> <laughs> now, this all sounds terrible right before Christmas, very distressing for my client and her family. It is in the wind basket today because after a letter from me to the owners corporation, some discussion among the committee, some discussion with the contractor engaged to do the work in January, my client's unit is now back on the list and part of the project, which is great news. That's fantastic, Amanda. I think that it's obvious that of penny wise, pound foolish decisions because in the day, if all the others are being done and you leave one out, it's going to age and deteriorate at different times and different levels and 
the water penetration was still occurring. So why would you try and just, you know, even though it's going to be expensive, I mean, it's still cheaper to do it at this time. Every year that you keep putting repairs and upgrades off, they just cost more and more in the future. So it's very, you have the guys there already, the the same tiles would be used, it would be uniform. Absolutely. Access issues, scaffolding, all of that Mm. was all going to be there. And I agree. I think it was a very short-sighted position on the part of that committee. Owners were nervous about the cost. The committee felt that they had already gone to the owners and approved costs at a certain level. They didn't want to go back and perhaps raise a special levy or get a loan for the cost blowout. And I know many buildings are facing that at the moment with construction costs increasing rapidly. But it wasn't on. That was not the way to handle the situation. And it's not every case, it is a few, but it's not every case that once an owner's corporation's legal obligation is clarified, perhaps by a strata lawyer or by a strata manager, that the committee changes its position so promptly. But I am very pleased for my client and her family that they were able to get that result and she will have the nice new balcony tiling that she is entitled to. Yeah, and I'm sure she's been probably an owner there for a long time and paid levies over the years. Oh, yeah. And I think it deserved to be included in the project, especially when she does have water penetration issues. Yeah, absolutely. Great chat, Rena. We've covered a lot today. Thank you for your time here. Send you out into another busy week. Happy New Year again, Amanda. Happy New Year. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?